Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. In today's episode, Bobby Nash and I are talking about Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's series, Daredevil Yellow. We're going to do a deep dive into the story, the characters, and the major and minor themes weave throughout this comic book series. This is the first comic book series we've reviewed and analyzed, so let us know what you think. I do want to take a minute to welcome all of our new subscribers and followers. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And be sure to check out www.reclamationsociety.org to watch our Star Wars fan film and learn more about our organization. I do want to warn you guys, this podcast will contain spoilers. For this specific podcast, we've actually tried to make those some more minor spoilers. If you're familiar with Daredevil and the various story arcs with this character, you're probably already familiar with what we're going to talk about. But if you prefer not to have anything spoiled for you at all, uh, just listen to the review portion of this show and then skip the rest of it until you've actually read the comic. My guest on this episode is Bobby Nash. Bobby writes novels, comics, and even dabbles in some screenwriting. If you want to see more of his work, you can visit bobbynash.com. With that, let's welcome Bobby to the show and talk some more about Daredevil Yellow. All right, so how are you doing today, Bobby? I am wonderful. It's uh, it's January. We're in the middle of winter. I'm sitting here in my air-conditioned house while it's in the 70s outside. Oh, wow. You know, that's awesome. It's like living in the twilight zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. We, we are going to approach 70 degrees ourselves here in Los Angeles. So very strange weather across the states, I guess. Well, thanks for joining me on this one. Today we my are pleasure. talking about Daredevil Yellow. Uh, which is written by Jeff Loeb, and the art is by Tim Sale. Uh, they, and they, they've done a whole series of different characters where they labeled them with a color. So Their colors, yeah. yeah. Their color series. So it was it, uh, what did they had Spider-Man Blue, I believe, and then they had, it was it Hulk Black? Uh, Hulk Gray. Hulk Gray, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and almost, almost, and there was uh, the Captain America White. Ah, yes. And... That may have been it. There might, I can't remember if there was an Iron Man one or not. Yeah, I don't um, remember either. But one of the things that they do with all of these is they are kind of set in the early days of the characters. Um, like with Hulk Gray, you know, the, the Hulk was gray for six issues before he turned green. Oh, interesting. So the Hulk Gray series kind of is set during that time. Daredevil Yellow... In the early days, Daredevil's costume was more yellow with some red in it. Whereas we all know him now as all a whole red costume. Daredevil Yellow is set in the time when he had the yellow costume. Although it's narrated from a present day perspective, which we'll get into. Right, exactly. This is why I love talking to you, Bobby, because your knowledge of the comics is just exemplary. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> All these years of being told it was useless knowledge. <laughs> One day. Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all those naysayers had no idea what they were talking about. Um, so what we're going to do with this one, because a lot of people probably haven't read Daredevil Yellow, so we're going to try and keep it somewhat spoiler-free in terms of the major plot points. But, but quite frankly, the entire book, I wouldn't say that there's... There's not a lot of spoilers to be had. Uh, that's not exactly... It doesn't feel like the purpose of this book to me is to have like some really great twists. I mean, even some of the bigger things that uh, that happen in the book happen mm -hmm. in the beginning. 
So uh, there's no big reveals here, I don't believe. So uh, I would say, other than the narration of why why this story is being told, but we kind of have to. We go have that. to go there, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, that, and that happens from literally, like I believe, panel one. Um, right. The nice thing about the nice thing about uh, doing a comic book as opposed to doing a show is that I actually can have the book in my hands as we talk about it. So <laughs> <laughs> that part's kind of cool. Um, so we're going to start out with a little bit of a review, and we actually have a new rating system for all the reviews that we're doing. So I'll start with you, Bobby. Um, the first. The first rating that we have is a quality rating, and we do so from a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being best. And this just refers to the art, the quality of the art, the quality of the storytelling. You know, how uh, is this a high-quality book? Um, what do you think, scale of 1 to 10? I would give it, I would give it a 7 Okay. as an overall. It's, it's beautifully drawn. Uh, Tim Sale is a fantastic artist. Uh, Jeff Loeb is, uh, is, is, you know, knows how to tell a story. I should probably start out. I am not the biggest fan of this team. Okay. Um, I like, uh, I and let me preface this by saying, of the stuff that they've worked on together, the Marvel color books are probably my favorite stuff they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a nostalgia factor. Yes. In in these color books that that Loeb and Sale do, that. Because they all take kind of go back to the early days of the characters, and and if you're a fan of the character, and you you the those early day stories can either be one of two things: they can either be fun, or if you're a newer fan, you go, "This makes no sense." <laughs> um, but there are some big there are some story holes in here that that bug me, which is why the rating goes down to a seven for me. Yeah. Which we'll talk about as we get into it. But, exactly, exactly. But it's beautifully drawn, um, and the, it's it's a serviceable, fun read. Yeah, I, I I basically am in agreement with you on that. Um, I actually do like Jeff Loeb as a writer, and I and I really like Tim Sale as an artist. Um, I gave it an eight on a quality rating, and most of it for me is that uh, I would say that there's some variability in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, some of it is just even, so from an art and a storytelling perspective, some of the art is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I would put it on my wall, like just a single panel on my wall. Cause it's just that good. Um, however, some of it also like the characters <laughs> like it's not, there's not any consistency. It's like, is right. that the same character? I can't even tell. Um, and that's, that's challenging when you're reading a story dealing with characters that you're kind of getting a lot of variability. Um, and I would say the same thing of Jeff Loeb's uh, writing, actually, as well. There's some variability. Some some panels and some of the um, some of the stories are heartbreaking, and then others of them just feel like almost like filler, um, which is weird because it doesn't feel like he needs filler, um, which is kind of weird for me. So I would say I would say eight out of ten. Um, I, I feel very similar to you. There are some. There are some plot holes. Uh, it sort of meanders. I noticed. I noticed that from a quality perspective, I loved the first three issues, and I'm reading a trade as well, so it's all collected. So it feels mm-hmm. like one big story. But the first three issues I thought were outstanding, and then from there, it almost like lost its focus a bit for me. Um, so I would have given the first three issues maybe even a nine if they like stopped there. But since they kept going, 
uh, that then it started to lose focus. I started to kind of not understand quite where they were going with it. So uh, right. very similar rating. So next rating we have is um, so so you were a seven, I was an eight on the quality, and then on story depth, that's a, also a one to ten rating. Mm-hmm. Ten being the deepest, right? So ten is a really deep story. One is very shallow story. So what do you, what would you say about story depth? Probably going to be more middle of the road on this one. I'm probably going to go a six because it's there are moment parts in here that are deep when we we deal with Matt and his dad, mm-hmm. especially. So those get a little deep. There is a lot, like you said, there's a lot of just fluff and filler in here, which not bad. It's not bad, but it's not deep, right? You know, exactly. um, so. Because they kind of beat us over the head with, you know, Matt. And it's a throwback to the old original stories where, you know, Matt's blind. And he, so he has to pretend to be more powerless than he is. Right. But then he does things like goes and shoots a perfect game of pool <laughs> right. to, sh- to show off, you know, um, things like that. You know, we spend a lot of time on stuff like that. There's a bowling match. There's a pool game, yeah. you know. Um, the stuff with Matt and his dad is the heart of the Daredevil story. Um, and it, and it has been in the numerous times that we've, we've touched on stories that involve Matt's father. Um, this is not the best story that's touched on it. I don't, I don't think in my opinion, but those moments are awesome. Then we get other moments where it's just uh, another superhero story. It doesn't, it's, it's not. It doesn't have that deep emotional impact, which, because of what the narration is, which, spoiler alert for another story, it's Matt writing a letter to Karen Page after her death. Right. Right. So, should be very emotional, and I really don't always feel that as we go through the story. I am really glad you said that because um, I picked up on the exact same thing. So, uh, like you, for story depth, I gave it a six point five, um, and I and I said almost the exact same thing in my notes. In other words, like when they cover his relationship with his father, there there is there there's a couple heart wrenching moments in this book mm-hmm. for sure, and it's just kind of surprising that you'd say, well, with those heart wrenching moments. Um, why wouldn't you give it a higher rating? But you hit the nail on the head, and that is, for someone who's writing this letter, um, he he seems real emotional uh, with the stuff that's going on with his dad, but then related to the stuff that's going on with Karen, he seems like he's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of bouncing all over the place, and he's processing things uh, in a very unemotional uh, way at times. Um, mm-hmm. So it just kind of takes away from that depth uh, I also think that um, so Matt is grieving throughout this entire process, and the book doesn't touch on spirituality at all, which is a little surprising to me, especially because of some of the other Daredevil stories where he has this sort of tenuous relationship with the Catholic Church and he's trying to understand it. Um, mm-hmm. And then in this, but in this book, it it doesn't go to the spiritual side of things at all, and that's sort of weird because. You know, when loved ones are sick or when loved ones have passed away, at least this is true for me and some of my friends, this is the time when people become, um, whether you're devout or not devout at all, um, this is sort of a time when people reflect 
on spiritual matters, or, or at least ask themselves, I'm using the term spiritual, but you could say bigger, deeper matters, and ask themselves, what is the purpose of why I'm here? What, what do I believe? You go through this process, and that's completely absent in the book at all. Um, so that's a little bit of a, a downside for me, because I, li- I like people processing those things. Even if they come up with answers that I don't come up with, at least I kind of get a different perspective from them. So... Yeah, story depth for me is is not as high as it could be, though it has moments. Right, and and that's a big part of Matt's character, that the 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 religious part of him. Right. And now, granted, a lot of that wasn't there in those early days when Stan Lee was writing it, because Stan was just writing a another superhero story. Um, but and so I know a lot of the Catholic stuff was added in later. But it's become such a core of the character, especially since the 80s. So we're looking at, you know, 30-some years. It's a big part of his characters. So, yes, for it to be absent here, especially in relation to Karen's death, which took place in another, you know, in the Daredevil book, that that was a story that touched heavily on Matt's Catholic faith. Right. That that the, that the two are that that, that it one is it's not referenced here really is it's it's noticeably absent to me. Exactly. exactly. Now, had I not read all that other stuff and didn't know anything, if this was my first Daredevil story, it might not as impacted me as much. But having read other Daredevil, this it was noticeably absent for me. Exactly. Exactly. Even if he even if he had been going through a process uh, where he was doubting his faith or struggling with it in some way, I would have really appreciated seeing that struggle, but the, mm-hmm. a, the absence of it is just weird, right? It just seems strange. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to the likelihood to refer. This is also a one to 10 scale, basically 10 being you're definitely going to recommend it. What do you think? What do you, what do you say about that? scale? <clears throat> I, you know what? It's at the end of the day, it is a, it is a good fun read. Um, so, you know, it's not like full of belly laughs, but Daredevil rarely is. Um, <laughs> it's, I, it's a good story. I think anyone who reads it can enjoy it, whether you're a long-term Daredevil fan or not. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it a six or a seven, probably. I guess go a seven with, uh, referability. I would definitely say, you know, it wouldn't be the first Daredevil book I would offer someone, but as an, as a if I did recommend, say, Guardian Devil to someone, which is the book where, where Karen dies, mm. I would then say, now, if you want to see the follow-up to that, you know, and kind of get care a little more backstory on the how Karen and Matt met, here's a good book that would, would, would tie in well with that. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good idea. Um, I'm, I'm right on the same page with you, because I said 7 as well, 7 out of 10. Um <laughs> I, what's interesting about this is I remember when I first read this book, I really, really liked it. Uh, but after the second read, um, especially now having read a little bit more Daredevil, uh, I didn't like it as much. So it's, it's interesting to kind of reflect back and go, oh, I didn't really remember some of those things the way that I thought that I did. Um, I would say if you're a huge Daredevil fan, it's, it's worth your time, uh, especially if you're a Tim Sale or a Jeff Loeb fan. Um, you'll like it. You'll enjoy it. But I think we've, just like you said, we've seen better Daredevil stories. 
So you might want to start elsewhere before you get into this one. Right. There are others that tell the origin story a little better, I think. Yeah. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing. They're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And I would agree. They're what I wear when I'm recording this podcast. So please consider purchasing a pair using our link in the show notes. If you buy through our link, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. If you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer and use our link to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. So, what in your mind makes Daredevil the man without fear? And then how do Jeff how do um Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale communicate that through the character in this particular story? Oh, that is a very good question. Um Daredevil is the man without fear because he we don't get into it a lot in here in this particular book, but to to do what he does to leap from rooftop to rooftop, you know, when you can't see the rooftop <laughs> you're leaping to, there is if 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 Matt Murdock was afraid, he couldn't do anything of what he does. He does not he he does not allow his handicap to stop him. Now, that being said, he does have a bit of a cheat. He's blind, but he can see because of the radar sense. Right. So, so yes, he is blind, but you know, he he can still see. It's it's one of those weird, you know, it's one of those weird Stanley things where you know, it's like, well, you know, he's a monster, but he's not a monster, or you know, he's, <laughs> you know, she feels like she's she feels like everybody's ignoring her, so her power is she becomes invisible. I mean, some. some <laughs> Right. Sometimes Stan was right on the nose. Yeah. He was not subtle. <laughs> right, right. But, but that's okay. I mean, sometimes that works. Yes. You know, like the the fact that this blind man, this blind lawyer, sees justice and injustice better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right on the nose. But that's a core concept of the character that continues right. to this day where – He's a lawyer, and his job is to uphold the not only the law but the tenets of the law. Guilty until, until proven innocent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, all, the half a part of his life is like dedicated to that. Right. But then there's this other part of his life that's dedicated to justice. Right. And sometimes justice and the law do not, you know, connect. Yep. Yep. Um, it's sad but true, and so. Daredevil and Matt Murdock has this tugging at him on both sides of, of, you know, what should he do? What can he do? And I think part of the man without fear stuff is, is he just has to do it without the consequences. Right. Now, I, I don't know why they came up with man without fear. Uh, originally, I know in the, this here, Karen kind of gives him that nickname in this particular book. Right. Um, I don't know if that happened in the real 
old, you know, in the old original books or not. But, um, yeah, I think it's just, I think it just has to deal with the, the way that, that Matt just learns to, to just deal with the life he's been handed. Mm. He doesn't sit around sulking about it. Um, you know, there have been stories that where that's happened, but not every, not every issue of, or every story has Matt going, woe is me. I, <laughs> you know, I can't this, I can't that. I can't, Matt's like, you know what? I can do this. Let me go do it. And he just does it. Well, and there's a lot about the character of Daredevil. Um, there's a line in here that does kind of, it's one of those things that, that bothered me a little. There's a line in here where he says, my dad raised me to be a fighter. Oh yeah. And which is not true, you know, uh, in, in all the other stories I've read, right. where the last thing, the, and the show's good about this too. In the, in the flashback to Matt as a kid, Jack Murdoch wanted Matt to be anything, but a guy that fights. Yep. Don't get in fights at school. Don't this, you know, don't, no, I don't want you to study. I want you to be better than me. Right. And that's a that's been a staple of the Matt and Jack Murdoch relationship was be better than me. Don't rely on being having, you know, your fist to to So, his dad would probably be a little disappointed that he becomes this costume crime fighter. Um but and here it does say that my dad raised me to be a fighter, which was one of the issues I had. But there is a part in here that that, I, that that is consistent with other stories I've read where the name Daredevil comes from. Not so much the man without fear part, but definitely the Daredevil part. Because Matt's father would not let him fight. You know, like there's one uh, in another book where Matt actually, you know, gets tired of being bullied by one kid and pops him in the nose and so of course Matt gets beat up but Matt finally stood up for himself and he's happy and he comes home with a black eye and a bloody nose and his dad is just furious how dare you let them goad you into this that kind of thing mm. the kids used to taunt Matt when he was a kid because he would not do these things after especially after that time you know because his dad was like no you cannot do this you cannot do this you cannot fight so the kids started taunting him by calling him Daredevil because he was the guy that always ran away. And the, the kids would taunt him with his name. And he takes that childhood taunt and uses it later. He, he, he takes control of it. He doesn't let the, this nickname, this thing that was used to bully him and keep him down, he takes it and uses it as his power. By taking the name Daredevil as his costumed identity, which I think is great, and it's and Jeff Loeb explains it pretty well in this book. I think he he really keeps that part, which I like. Yeah, that part that part is good. Um, which I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead to another question, and we're gonna come back to this other question I've got here. So because because this is a good segue. Um, so what did you think of Jeff and Tim's portrayal of each character? I, I guess we, if we start with Matt, I think he, they do Matt very well. Um, now, it's, and a lot of this being flashbacks, this is a younger Matt. This is a Matt that is not quite sure of himself yet. I especially like once he puts on the costume and he's chasing down the fixer and his men who killed his father. 
that he learns a very important lesson when the fixer dies of a heart attack trying to run away from him. That he he realizes that, you know, just he wanted the fixer dead. So now the fixer's dead and he's like, it's not giving him the satisfaction that he wants. And there's a sadness in the way that it's drawn as well. Where he's like, you know, I didn't want this. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to kill this guy. Right. But, you know, so yeah, it's it's it, yeah, that's kind of there. But I like the 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 cockiness when he's Matt Murdock. You know, he mm-hmm. is this cocky lawyer, and uh, I think so. I think they do a good job with Matt and Daredevil. Yeah, I thought they did a good job with Matt too. I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's some variability in Matt for me. So I think he's at his strongest when he's dealing with some stronger emotions related to his father, related to Karen. But then I think there's also those, those components. And I think you, you mentioned this in the Netflix series, uh, which is mo- which is why I'm most familiar with, with Daredevil. I've read several Daredevil books, but um, I'm most familiar with the, the TV series. And he's, you said it best. He's dealing with the weight of the world. And he's dealing mm-hmm. with like this host of problems. And I think here, um, the distance that we see, he see him, he's distant in many areas, even though in some other areas he's very much emotionally there. And so that variability is weird um, going throughout the book, but I think you're right. Overall, they handled his character, and I think you, that you, it's perfect. Like his cockiness as he, when he's Matt Murdock seems mm-hmm. very well placed as well. <clears throat> what do you think of Karen? I think they handle Karen pretty well here. Um, you know, most of the Karen that I've read in book form was Karen after she came back, which is a vastly different Karen than we have in her early days hmm. as their as their secretary. Um, I think they handle her well. I like that they they don't play her off as that she's smart. They play her off as smart. They don't play her off as just the girl, you know. There are things she says in here that that helps, I think, keep the guys on track. There's, uh, you know, she, you know, and I, I kind of dislike the whole love triangle, but I know, I know that's from the the old original stories, and I know the TV shows picked up on that too. That both of the guys meet her and go gaga over her, right? Um, and then of course later in this book. You know, in particular, she likes Daredevil, and so wants Daredevil, not the two guys. And so, I mean, there's a lot of that staple of comic book, you know, romance there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I I, I like her here. I think she's handled pretty well. Um. You know. Um. Yeah, I can't think of anything that I didn't like about her here. I mean, she does get kidnapped twice. <laughs> Right, exactly. But um, so so there is that, I guess. You know, the fact that you know she's <laughs> she does play the damsel in distress at least twice in a six issue miniseries. Uh, <laughs> I think that is probably so. So Karen for me is the weakest character. It, it doesn't mean that I dislike her as a character. I think I think she is approachable as a character. I think she's fun. I think you mentioned like she's smart, um, but she doesn't 
Now, 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 granted, this is me revisiting this book, having not read any Daredevil uh, books in a while, and having seen the TV show, which the character of Karen in the TV show is incredibly well-rounded mm-hmm. uh, and very deep. So in this, it just feels like, oh, she's just there to sort of get kidnapped, offer a few witty comments, um, which some of which are smart, and so I don't think that they're necessarily doing her a disservice, but what it felt like having seen the show was that this is almost like a this was almost like a 1960s caricature of a secretary in some ways mm-hmm. yeah. and comparing that to season 1 for me was like pretty stark contrast because season 1 she's not like that at all so i would say she's the weakest character but then again i don't think the story the story is really more about matt and how he's dealing with her death um, so I think they could have rounded out her character some more so that we could have seen her in a different light in, in why he, why all the different ways um, right. that he loved her. But I think he's reminiscing about her in a very specific way. So I can give right. them some I can give them a pass on that, but she's still sort of just a weaker character for me in that regard. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. She's just yeah, for a considering that the, the yeah, the whole premise here is him thinking about you know he's trying to get closure for her death yeah she's not as more at the forefront right right what did you think of foggy foggy's good foggy felt a little out of character at times for me Mm. um just because he's i don't know just some of the way he talked and he also they also kind of drew him he looks like he's older yeah but that could just be an art style so i'm but, you know, he's, I don't know, he, yeah, to me, he doesn't, um, he doesn't feel like foggy all the time. And, uh, and then there are some places he feels exactly like foggy. So, <laughs> right. um, especially like the whole, you know, kind of like talking around Matt cause he knows Matt's not pe- there, but he's not really paying attention or right, you know, right. there's, you know. Or the just absentmindedly just just blathering on and on. I don't mind that there, but yeah, he Foggy Foggy here kind of reminds me of like yeah, he looks like he belongs in the '60s the way he's drawn. Yes, um, this Foggy is sort of like a bumbling. No, no, that's part of his character in other stories, mm-hmm. but but he always pulls it together in some areas. Um, he's always fiercely loyal, even when. Matt is really hurting his feelings, right? Um, and I think that that's somewhat true here, but again, it's not it's not very deep. It's, fer- it's fairly shallow on the foggy level. He's sort of a one-note character as opposed to being more well-rounded. Yeah, and Foggy is... Foggy has been... You know, Foggy sometimes feels like he's in Matt's shadow. Mm. And, I mean, it's a very heartbreaking scene. There's a scene in this particular book where, you know, Foggy is going to go in and... He's decided before he's even told Karen he likes her, he's going to propose to her, which is yeah, moving a little fast. But, yes. <laughs> but um, he walks in and overhears Matt and Karen talking and turns, leaves the office and drops the flowers into the garbage can on his way out. Right. Which is a very heartbreaking scene with Matt and Foggy. Now, this is not the first nor the you know time that foggy this is not the last time that we will see Matt and Foggy with the same woman, right? 
it's been one of those things where Matt will Matt will break the heart of some woman. She'll turn to Foggy for uh, I don't understand why he's acting this way, and then her and Foggy end up. You know, it's so it it's a weird relationship in the whole Nelson and Murdoch Corporation. There <laughs> <laughs> seems like there's going to be a lot of HR issues. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so yeah, Foggy is Foggy is downplayed a little here to being kind of the. But then again. In the early, early days, he was kind of a bumbling sidekick. Right, right. Um, but as you know, as the stories have, you know have continued on, yeah, Foggy's Foggy is like a legal genius. Ah, uh, yeah, that's cool. I like that aspect and, of his um, character. Yeah, and so, in many cases, in many cases, he, like I said, he's a better lawyer than Matt. Right, which is cool because then you know that Matt is. Leaning uh, more on that, you talked about the uh, the justice system isn't always mm-hmm. just, and I right. think uh, that's where it's kind of a cool. If Foggy can figure out a way to solve the problem from a legal perspective, then amazing. But when he can't, then you have Daredevil to go off and be able to do, to be able to get justice to actually occur. Right. Yeah. Foggy's because and the show is good. The show does this well too. They could, Foggy especially, could go to work for a huge law firm. The reason they start their own firm is because Matt wants to help the little people. Yeah. More so than, say, Foggy. I mean, Foggy does, but Foggy also would like to live with, you know, in a a nice apartment with electricity and, you know, (laughs) that sometimes being a small, struggling law firm, you don't get to do. And so, but Matt wants to, Matt's goal, and it's it's touched on here in in yellow. I mean, Matt's Matt doesn't look at the world at large. Matt doesn't even look at New York at large. Matt's focus is I've got to protect Hell's Kitchen, mm. which is a sliver of New York in the mm. grand scheme of it. But that's you know, and and I think the show's good about playing. Remember, reminding us of that too. That Hell's this is this is where I grew up. I grew up in Hell's Kitchen. This is where I need to protect, and so he he's more interested in helping the little guys, and because he and Foggy have such a relationship, Foggy agrees to go with him and do that. Right. Yeah. Totally. Now, were there any other characters that stood out to you as characters that you really liked or really didn't like? You know, I I think we really should we 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 can't not talk about uh, Matt's dad battling Jack Murdoch. Yep. Um, you know, because Jack is so integral to why Matt does what he does. Um, and I like the fact here, they play up the fact here in, in yellow, uh, that, you know, Jack had been a boxer and he was having a bit of a resurgence as he's older now. And he's been winning all these fights. And, like, I think everybody but Jack seems to know that they're fixed. Right. Or if Jack knows, Jack doesn't care. Right. Um, and then, of course, the the big one, the big title fight, which they tell him to, to, to take a dive, Jack decides not to do it. Yep. And in terms of this particular book, I I, I don't think he doesn't he he doesn't throw the fight because of Matt. I really can't remember. I'd have to go back in there and look again. But a lot of times it's him. He doesn't throw the fight in many of the stories 
because of Matt, who is a young boy, and he wants he wants to show his son how to do things right. That even a bum like me can be a winner. Mm, yeah. Even though Jack knows that because I just won this fight, I am a dead man. Right. So I think we lose something in yellow by having that take place when Matt is in college and Matt and Foggy are like almost ready to graduate from college from the way it looks. Oh yeah. 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 As opposed to Matt being younger to being like 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that area area. I think it loses something that, you know, that that this death, this tragedy doesn't happen to Matt at a younger age in yellow. It happens to him as an adult, which doesn't make it hurt me less, but I, it, it kind of eliminates some of the stuff, other stuff that happens where Matt trains and, you know, here Matt kind of just puts on a suit and goes to work. Right. You know, whereas in other origin stories, there's time, you know, and, and the TV show touches on this too, with him training with stick and, you know, so now granted stick wasn't around when in the original stories, when Stan and Bill Everett and Wally Wood and all were working on them. But, you know, stick, stick was created in the eighties. Right. But so, so maybe they didn't touch on that because it wasn't part of the original. I I don't know, but that little, that, change to me really takes some of the punch out of the story. I, yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that until you started talking about it, but I couldn't agree more. Cause obviously like for someone who's in law school, a lot of, a lot of your, uh, ideas about justice and morality, not to say that they can't change over time. I'm not suggesting that, but a lot of them are already formed. They're already, they've already taken a certain degree of, they've already rooted to a certain degree. Right. Whereas if you're 12, um, you're still trying to figure a lot of that out and it's just not the same. Um, so I, I think that's a really good pickup. But Battling Jack was actually my favorite character in the book. Um, yep. He feels like he just walked off the pages of a 1930s crime novel. Um, it's a bit of a caricature because we've seen this type of character in other stories and other universes. Um, but I think... It's this character who is clearly flawed. We see all the areas where he's flawed. He there may he may know he may not know that he's um, like you said that he's uh, taking it that other guys are taking a dive. But if he if he doesn't know, then he's just actively not paying attention. Um, right. And so there's a there's a dichotomy there where we know that he's not while he's trying to do the right thing. We know that he's also ignoring some places and clearly doing some things that are not the right thing. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, this is probably there's pro- there's a section in here where through the narration, Matt is saying something like, "He's the you know, were my dad has won his tenth consecutive fight ever since with he signed with a new manager named Sweeney. Sweeney had a nickname too, the Fixer, a fight manager named the Fixer." And my dad, and over the <laughs> over the hill when he was forty, kept winning. I can't imagine which one of us was more blind. Exactly, which is which is actually a great line. Yes. Um, and I think that that's so, so that that's a depth of character, for example, that we don't see in Karen. We don't see Karen's weaknesses. Right. She's not as well rounded in that, and so that makes it because we know that 
Matt loves Jack despite his flaws. Uh, that's where his heartbreak comes in. That's why that scene is so heart wrenching. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I really liked the character of Jack and, and the dichotomy of him. He's drawn really, really cool mm-hmm. as well. Um, yep. In an era of superheroes that is, you know, uh, no chest hair and very, uh, very uh, Greek god like, right? Um, he's a dude. He's just a big barrel chested dude it's with a hairy chest, and it's just it feels it feels right, like it came out of the era, right. and it feels cool. So I like that a lot. He's kind of got the pug nose. The way they, I mean, this guy's taken a beating a number of times. You can see it in the way they've drawn him. Exactly. Exactly. And, but he's a he's in he's also enjoying he's enjoying the success he's having. Yes. Because because Jack Murdoch was never was never a champion boxer. Right. So as and now as a man in his forties, you know, he's feeling he's winning and there's money in his pocket for the first time, which is un, unusual for him. Right. I do like that stuff. I I just kind of I think the whole Matt being you know, in his twenties at this point when, when Jack dies, I think that hurts. Take that. that what well, does hurt? Pull some of the impact of Jack's death out. Yes, I agree. I agree. A couple other characters I would throw out is, um, I really liked Slade in the fix in the fixer. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly Tim, Tim's art. So Slade, the way that Slade is drawn and there's a moment in the book where uh, there's a double, uh, two-page spread um, where uh, Jack has just won, and he's raising his hand triumphantly, and uh, the Fixer and Slade are in the in the foreground, um, and, and Matt and Foggy are in the foreground, and, and that's just like the way that uh, you've got the Fixer who's looking at Matt and sort of like, why is this guy so excited? And then Slade's actually looking at us, as mm-hmm. the audience, and I just thought that was so cool. Like we know that there's something bad going to happen, and he signaled us that way. Um, and I thought that the art was really, really good. Now, this is one of those things for me where I say this is going to be—it's going to help segue into the next question. Um, but there's no, there's not a lot of consistency in who we're dealing with as quote unquote the bad guys or the villains, right? Um, and so I. We're gonna we're gonna see some other cameos throughout the book, um, which, by the way, just as an aside, the Purple Man's cameo, only because I've seen the Jessica Jones. Cause I, I've never read any Jessica Jones comics, not even a single mm-hmm. one, um, but because I've seen the Netflix show, that made this cameo completely chilling for me. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, this is a bad dude, um, uh, which I really enjoyed, but. So I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the Slade. I enjoyed the Fixer. I enjoyed the Purple Man. Though I will say that, again, this, this leads to the variability. There's not just one mm-hmm. solid bad guy. And, se. of course, we also have the Owl. Yep, we have the Owl thrown uh, in there. Which, the Owl does appear in Season 1 of Daredevil. Okay. Never in costume. But the character that Bob Gutton plays, Leland, mm-hmm. in Daredevil Season 1, that's the Owl. That's why when he's in there and Melvin Potter's giving him, they're doing the suit, that's like the bulletproof suit for Leland. Uh, if you notice, yeah. it's green. It's Interesting. Green. Okay, okay. There's a lot of those type of cameos 
in the Daredevil show. Like Melvin Potter, the guy that's making that suit, in the comics, he's a character called Gladiator, who is a villain who Daredevil helps reform. You know, and then he builds Daredevil his suit and all that stuff. Cool. Yeah, so he's a character. Turk's from the Turk, the the Gunrunner. Oh yeah, he's right from the comics. Oh, that's awesome. He was actually the one I was when I saw Turk. It was like I was like, oh my god, it's Turk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I know I'm a big I'm a big fanboy. You know, but uh, you know, I I've had that on a few things because there are characters. These are not char- these are not A list characters. Right. Turk is not an A list character. <laughs> right, um, right. I you know so there are characters I never ever thought I would see live action. Between this show, these Netflix shows, and Agents of Shield, now I've seen characters live action that I never thought I would see live action. Which is super cool too, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I do want to point out one character that again this is with the variability um, both in the art and the storytelling. There's the owls. Uh, for lack of a better term, assistant shows up, um, and they have a what, what, a, what effectively is basically a half half page uh, portrait of her. Her name is Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, that portrait I could put on a wall. That portrait yes. is is gorgeous. It's, the way that that's drawn is amazing, um, which is so weird because she's literally in like a total of maybe ten or twelve panels of this, right. of the entire thing. So that's where the variability comes in, where uh, it's just a little bit it's a little bit off. Like there's this gorgeous picture, uh, really well done art. Clearly, he took a lot of time in making this a close up of her face. Um, like her eyes are drawn really really cool. Um, in a cool way, but then again, she's just not even critical to the story much at all. Uh, I mean, right. there's a twist that happens because of her, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this brings me to another question: of all these people, of all the cameos that we've seen, and all the characters that we're experiencing here, uh, who do you think is the villain in Daredevil Yellow? Hmm, that's a very good question. I don't. I, you know what? It's it's gonna be, it's it's me trying to be deep here, but I think Matt's Matt it's it's you know Matt trying to deal with all of this. I don't think there's one central villain. Right. It, I think it's Matt's this quest for Matt to find justice, and so I'd almost say I guess justice is the villain here. I don't know. It's <laughs> um yeah. There's no yeah because it does seem like once you get past the first three issues, which is a nice little solving his father, catching the guys that murdered his father. It just seems like three separate comic book stories with three different villains of the, of the month, you know? Right, exactly. Um, so I don't think there's any consistently, you know, one villain. Um, you know, I will say it does seem that he, after issue three, he gets into all this trouble or all these adventures because of Karen. So, <laughs> um, which is, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's any one one specific villain. I mean, it almost doesn't seem like a mini series in in terms of like these last few issues. Don't it doesn't seem like it's one big story. Yeah. So I'm gonna. Here's what my theory is about who the villain is in Daredevil Yellow. Because I agree with you. There's no there's no consistency. There's only one thing that I can say that I believe is maybe the villain in this book. And it's esoteric, uh, but that's death. Death is the villain, and, and I think that yeah. I think this is what bothers me the most is that if death is the villain, 
which I believe it is because we we start from the very beginning of the book with knowing that he's writing these letters to process Karen's death. Um, that's how the story is set up. That's not even a spoiler. That's like literally the first three pages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that then he's this is sort of him reflecting on how he's had to deal with death throughout his life. But I think it's, that's what makes the story so weak is that that is an insane, insanely deep, uh, philosophical thing to tackle. And yet we never get that deep with it. We we get a little bit of depth. We get some depth with his dad, but beyond Mm -hmm. that, we don't see a lot of depth with it. And I think that that's my biggest problem is that if and I'm not saying that they set out to make death the villain, um, but to me it speaks to what he's struggling with the most. Because he doesn't really struggle with any of the other villains, per se. Right. Um, he just sort of you know does his thing, and it's cool, but he kind of gets through the other villains no problem. But that's the one thing that he continues to struggle with throughout the story. So it is. I think it's actually a really great philosophical place to put him, but what they do with it, is uh, probably what takes the story down a notch in my mind in terms of the quality and the likelihood to refer and the, even the depth of the story. So that's my theory, is that death is no, the villain. No, I, I like that. And, you know, and that does work, because, I mean, the last page of this story is he has, Matt has bought the gym where his dad trained and renamed it Battling Jack's Gym. Right, right. So, so yeah, so... so even though this whole narration and letter thing is about him coming to terms with Karen's death, it seems like the story is more about him dealing with his father's death. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, cause we didn't seem like create a, you know, open the, the Karen page school for, you know, whatever the <laughs> Karen page house or the, you know, so yeah. And so that kind of, kind of throws the, it because they're all this talk is oh Karen we this and oh Karen we that but but then the, the the story of what they're doing doesn't follow through on the this is all about Karen's death right exactly exactly um which so I'm going to transition into this next question because I think this is where from a story depth perspective as I've been complaining about it a little bit um this is where it hinges upon so one of the central themes even if it's not the villain one of the central themes of the comic is death, right? Um, right. So my question is, uh, from your perspective, how does Matt Murdock struggle with death, and what do you think he actually believes about death? That's a good question. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's like I said, we mentioned earlier, it's not really mentioned here, but being Catholic, you know, Matt has certain views of, of what death means from that perspective. Being a lawyer... And in here we see Matt actually go to the Slade's, uh, where Slade is executed. Right. So he sees that happen. So he sees now, because I do love the bit, though, that when he's writing the narration where he's talking about seeing the guy electrocuted, to and Matt's like, I thought it would be better, but the smell. Mm. And that's something that's, because with his heightened senses, he smells that through the glass. Yeah. And so I think with Matt, there are certain sounds and sensations that that's what death means to him. It's certain, certain sounds um, he, he can, because he, this is a guy that can hear, pick out heartbeats from across the room. Right. You know, I do think there's a beautiful, we talked about when they, you know, Jack's Murdoch's death. 
when Matt finds his, you know, comes across the scene where his dad's dead on the sidewalk and the cops are there, I do love the way that it's it's subtle when you look at it, but the everybody's in shades of gray. Mm. The only two characters in color are Matt and Jack. Yes, yes. And that, that tells me that Matt's senses are solely focused on his dad laying there. And that everything else around him is kind of washed out. And I thought that was a subtle, and that could be, I'm hoping, I'm assuming that's what the artist meant. It could just be me, me putting my own spin on it. But for all those pages there were with that, it, everybody else is in shades of gray. And I, I so I think for, for me, it's when Matt, because Matt with his senses being what they are, when he focuses on something, the rest of the world, he gets which is weird talking about for a, a, a character that's blind, but he gets kind of tunnel vision mm. and he's focused on just the sights, the sounds, the, the, the smells, the vibrations, the whatever. And, and I think as a character who has dealt with a lot of death throughout his career, obviously starting with his, his dad, you know, Electra died in his arms. Karen died in his arms. There have been certainly other deaths. This is a guy that tried to kill. He, you know, Matt was going to kill Bullseye. There's a wonderful story. It's one issue where, you know, Bullseye had come after Matt and had killed Electra, and and you know, Matt's so out for revenge, and he's he, in the fight he had beaten Bullseye to like like broke his legs, broke his arms. So Dare, uh, Bullseye's alive, but he's in traction, he can't move. And Daredevil shows up in his room with a loaded with a loaded pistol, and they play Russian roulette while they're talking. It's a very, it's a very it is a very disturbing, very tense book. Yeah. Um, so 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 there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, Matt. So death has affected Matt, you know, because so many people around him have died. Um, he's certainly afraid to every relationship he gets into, they don't all die, but bad things seem to happen to all of them. Uh, so this is a guy that after a while that starts to wear on him now. So the mat, the mat that's narrating this story is the mat in today, you know, Karen has just died and all. So then, and, and to him, that's got to bring up Electra. And so he's thinking of all these other deaths before him and, and, so I'm sure he's thinking of things in that way. And yeah, so it's one of those things that he feels, I'm sure he feels guilty mm. for all of them, whether he could have stopped them or not, just because of who the character of Matt Murdock is. I, I think he feels guilty about death. I think he thinks he should be able to save everybody. Right. Even though we all know you can't. Right. Right. And, but I, I think death to him is a, it's, you know, he doesn't see it like the rest of us do. I mean, it, you know, obviously, I mean, we all deal with death in different ways. But, I, you know, without being too philosophical about it, I think he, because of those heightened senses, he, he he's more intricate with how death, the, the, the smells, the sounds, the, you know, of death than most people. Because for him, it's a, it's a different feel. Right. I think that's a 
fantastic pickup. Uh, and I really like because I didn't even thought of that. So I think that that's a really good way of describing how he's dealing with it. Um, one of the things that stood out for me uh, on after after his father passes away, there's this. This is the most heart wrenching um, page of the entire book. But he, and like you mentioned, it's it's he's so focused in on um, on his dad that everything else fades to gray, um, except for the pistachios, which is interesting because that's how he's focusing on, even as he's grieving right. his dad, he's focusing on justice. Um, but I, there's this line in there, which basically he says, uh, I love you, dad. Did you hear? I love you. And then he reflects later upon the fact that while his dad was alive, um, he didn't get a chance to connect with his dad emotionally in that way and tell his dad how much it, he meant to him. And that that really struck a chord with me. So when I talk about the depth, that's the deepest part of the story right there. Um, it struck a chord particularly with me just because um, when I've had loved ones pass away, my, my mom passed away in 2012, I felt the exact same way. Um, my mom was not an, an emotional connector. So she wasn't a, wasn't the type of person that was going to lavish you with um, how much she loved you and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I knew she loved me. That wasn't a problem for me. But when I after her passing, it was like, man, I really wish that I had had the chance to communicate that to her um, in another way. So I will say, this is not something you get from comics very often. And it's not something you get from comic. Uh, podcasts very often, but if you have a loved one out there, you're listening to this podcast and you love somebody out there, don't wait till they're sick. Don't wait. Don't wait too long. Go give them a big hug right now and tell them how much you love them because you just never know. Um, and, and I was, I would love for you to do that. If that's the only thing you take from this podcast, even if you don't want to read daredevil yellow, go do that. Cause that's really, really important. And I think that's the deepest part of this book and it really resonated with me. So I like that a lot. Um, the other thing, the other thing I'll say is the thing that I think. So that's the deepest part. The the more shallow part is, um, and this is what seems so out of character, especially since you gave us some of the history of his relationship with the Catholic Church, um, is that he doesn't seem to comprehend death. So he, like you said, he takes in all these senses that that we don't normally associate with death. He takes all these things in, but he didn't do much with them. So I would really have loved to see him deal with it more. He seems a little, he seems a little removed and remote. And I think that we can become that way, right? Like that's, that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily false. Like that, that happens in real life. We can become removed and remote because death is a really, really hard thing. And especially here in America where we have so much, we have healthcare that's, that's outstanding. I mean, for most people comparative, right? Um, We have, uh, safety is a big thing for us. Um, but, but death is the kind of thing where when death shows up, it makes you question so many things and it, and it brings your life to a grinding halt. Um, and yes, we can get removed and remote. That does happen. So I'm not going to criticize them too much for the way that they portray Matt, but I would have loved to see them kind of tackle that a little bit more. Yeah, it, it is a weird story choice because right after right after Jack dies and we see all this, we jump ahead to the future. It, it, there's a big time jump to the court case, yeah, which is two pages, and it's dismissed. Then there's a big jump to them graduating law school. I mean, we 
you know, we don't really get to see any of that emotional impact there because it's just kind of like, okay, he's dead. Let's move on to him getting the costume. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that was you put it so frankly. I think that's exactly <laughs> what it feels like. All right, he's dead. <laughs> let's move yeah. on. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that's true. It, it, but it kind of feels that way. It feels like it's like okay, we we've done what we needed to here. We you know the you know Jack has died. There's no justice. Let's get him out of law school. Let's get him in their law firm. It's like it's it's almost like it's like okay, we've got to we can't focus on this anymore. Exactly. And 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 I'm with you. I I would have loved to have seen more. Yeah. I would have loved to have spent more time on that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, granted, there are other books that do spend more time on it. So, yeah. So let's talk about that. So we're going to talk about Daredevil season one. Um, so, you know, that'll be a, a future podcast whenever Bobby and I can find time to do that. Um, obviously, we've got to probably rewatch some of season one, so that's going to take some time. But we'll get there. And so, in the meantime, you guys, if you want to follow along with us, go ahead and watch season one. But what what other comics would you recommend, Bobby? As they, as we all prepare to discuss this character and how he sees the world. Okay. Well, the first one I would suggest to with reading, if if you want to read Daredevil Yellow, which we've been talking about here, I would suggest that you read Guardian Devil first. Hmm. Guardian Devil is written by Kevin Smith. Yes, Silent Bob. <laughs> um, it is drawn by Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti. It is a it is a good story. It's, um, it's a very well done story that does deal a lot with Matt's faith and angels and demons and things of that nature. Ooh, um, and, and it's one of the times, as I mentioned earlier, there are these times where Matt kind of gets close to losing himself. Mm. This is definitely one of those times. But the reason I pinpoint this one before Daredevil Yellow, this is where Karen dies. Mm. Um, so... But I would like to, um, I would say if you enjoy the TV show, uh, we'll start with a good uh, origin story. There is a trade called The Man Without Fear, which is written by Frank Miller and is drawn by John Romita Jr. and inked by the great Al Williamson, who used to work on Flash Gordon back in the day. Mm. So it's an absolutely beautiful book. And it was also a miniseries at one time. Uh, actually, originally it, it was originally a movie screenplay that Frank Miller had written for a Daredevil movie, which is weird because he's, the only time he's in costume is on the last page. Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah, it's all before he puts on the costume. Um, but it's so because it, it starts out with Matt as a young boy going through, dealing with his dad, seeing what his dad's like, you know, the taunting, et cetera, et cetera, the accident. That, that get that blinds him goes through all these things meeting stick getting his training <clears throat> um, up to his dad's death and then him going to college and him meeting uh, Electra so it, it, it covers all of that and we actually see the murder of battling Jack Murdoch uh. and there are similarities and differences to Daredevil yellow. Obviously, Matt is not in college at the time. Um, Matt has not met Foggy, that kind of stuff. Um, and we see just all that going through and leading up to things that will happen later. And, you know, Matt befriends a, 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 
as Matt graduates from college, he and Foggy go to work for a large firm, and Matt gets sent back to New York. They've moved out of New York. And he gets into an adventure while he's in New York that makes him stay. Good stuff. Excellent read. I would highly recommend that. Actually, and I would say, too, uh, with the, the, the Netflix shows are, use, are pulling heavily from all of Frank Miller's Daredevil run. Ah, okay. Okay. So there are three trades worth of his original run where he was the co-writer at first and became the writer and the artist. Um, there's three volumes of that, just like Frank, the Frank Miller's Daredevil is what they're called. You can find those pretty easily. Um, I highly recommend those. There's a lot of the show in those. <clears throat> there's also one called Born Again, which uh, Frank Miller had left the book and after a while came back with this story called Born Again. The artist by Dave Mazzuchelli. This is the same crew. This is the same creative team that did Batman Year One. So beautiful, okay. beautiful looking book. Uh, we get a lot of uh, good stuff in here that also appears in the Netflix show. We get a lot of good stuff here with the, you know, Matt's Catholic faith, and we learn about Matt's mom. But this is also where Karen returns, and Karen's return is a big part of the story. And I won't spoil anything. It's Karen is in a very ugly place at this moment in time, but there's a lot of this is just a beautifully told revenge story and it's also one of those where just matt has gone off the deep end because of what because of what happens to him here and he loses himself <clears throat> and he actually has to fight he actually has to kind of get back out of it wonderful wonderful i i would highly recommend that one but you know you, you know you kind of need to, some of it you need a little bit of the other stuff to know where the characters are but born again highly recommended um that one also has touched on the Jessica Jones Netflix show. Some of that stuff comes out of Born Again. Awesome. Um, so there's quite a bit of it out there. So there's a lot of good Daredevil reading out there. So if you just, yeah, if you read any of the stuff by Frank Miller or, or Bendis or Brubaker or, or Mark Wade, you're, you're probably in good shape. Okay, perfect. So you will hear from Bobby and I again in a future episode. I do want to... Um, Suggest one thing to you, in addition to all the books that Bobby just talked about. Um, Bobby actually has a compiled uh, book of short stories of uh, Lance Star Sky Ranger um, stories, and I personally have purchased that, and it's uh, highly recommended. It's actually a collection of all of Bobby's stories for Lance Star, um, which is they're fantastic. So I highly recommend that. Yeah, you can check those out. What was the best or, link to give them to go check those out? Um, just uh, bobbynash.com. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, very entertaining. Highly recommend them to you. Um, anything else, Bobby, before we sign off? Um, I do love the show, the Daredevil show. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to see that we're getting a third season. I'm so, also very excited to see that we're getting the Defenders. I don't know if you saw the... Uh, the tri the uh, poster that was released this week. I did, yeah, very cool. Yeah, so I'm very excited about the, these were the characters. You know, I, I grew up reading a lot of these characters. I, uh, you know, well, obviously not Jessica Jones. She's a, a later edition, but I've read those and they're very good. The, the Jessica Jones books are very good. Um, but I grew up reading, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist and and Daredevil, and so being able to see all these characters come together, I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. And 
and I am so happy that they're that they're they're not only are the are the shows good, but they're being so well received. Um, the loot the you know I, I the Daredevil stuff's great, the Jessica Jones stuff's great. I absolutely love the Luke Cage series. That was that was phenomenal. And uh, so joining me on a Luke Cage uh, podcast as well. Oh, absolutely! I I am I am a big fan. I you know I love the way that these shows these shows are not afraid to play up what they are. They know what they are, and they're not trying to go. Oh, we love Luke Cage the comic. Okay, let's change everything about it. They're not doing that. Right. You know, even down to the I mean. The costumes even kind of look like their costumes did in the book. They're, so I love the fact that Marvel is not afraid to go, yes, we're telling superhero stories. Here are superheroes. Yes. In a very and, realistic way, which is so right. cool. Yeah. And they've, they've, and they've cast well. Oh, my goodness. They have, you know, um, sometimes you see them and you see the characters and you go, I'm not so sure because it's not what I had. I was thinking. They they've just done such a good job of casting and they, they they've written them well and they're they're just I I love them I'm I'm so happy to to be able to have these and experience and watch these and man I sound like a big fanboy here sorry uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah so I'm hoping we'll continue to get more but it is a great time to love these type of stories and these type of characters between the Netflix stuff that we're getting with Marvel the CW DC shows you know, agents of shield. We're getting an inhumans TV show, not to mention all the movies we're getting. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great time to, to be a fan of this stuff. Yep. And it creates lots of good opportunities for podcasts, which is also Absolutely. cool for us. <laughs> yes. I know. Right. When I was a kid, there was nobody to talk about this stuff with, but then again, there were not, we didn't have all this to talk about. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Someone, if someone had told me when I was a kid that Luke Cage would have his own TV show, I would have laughed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I will end the discussion there. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Always, always a pleasure. Just fantastic insights. I love the depth of knowledge that you have. Um, and we will get together on a future podcast. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Bobby. That's it for today's podcast. Special thanks to Bobby Nash for joining us. Don't miss out on the Daredevil uh, television series that we'll be analyzing uh, in the near future. What did you think of this podcast? Did you like going through the comic? What did you think? Did we did we hit all the major points? I would love to hear what you have to say. You can do uh, two things. One, you can write me an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. Uh, that email address is in the show notes because it's kind of long. So be sure to check the show notes if you want to just cut and paste. Or you can go check out our community on mz.com, which is a new friendlier Reddit where we host our discussion board. You can post directly into that group to share your thoughts or even get a conversation started. The link is in the show notes. Make it very easy for you. Also, would you do me a favor? Would you give us a review on iTunes? If you haven't done that yet, it takes a couple of minutes. Really appreciate that if you would do that. And remember, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so make sure you follow us there. And give us some feedback. Tell us what next sci-fi, fantasy, or comic book story we should review. That's it for today's show. Remember, question everything in your favorite stories and always find the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.